On this episode of Business of Sound, my co-founder, Chris Whitman, will be interviewing Gretchen Smith, an executive at Ad Results Media. Chris, what are you hoping to get from today's conversation with Gretchen? Well, I think Gretchen is just an awesome interviewee, uh, mainly because her background is in you know, omnichannel media planning. So, you know, she's gone from big mega agencies working on accounts like Delta, Cody, Bacardi, and is now shifting over to, you know, many accounts uh, at a, you know, ad results, which is focused primarily on audio advertising, and of course, podcast influencers. So I think that her perspective is going to be very important uh, as we continue to kind of like rally all the brands behind just advertising on podcasts in general. Well, I'm looking forward to today's episode. Gretchen, it's good to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I think like just to kick things off, you know, um, you know, for the listeners who aren't familiar with you, uh, Gretchen Smith, VP of Media at Ad Results. Uh, you know, you've worked on some amazing accounts in your career: Miller Coors, Cody, Bacardi, Delta, um, and now you're over at Ad Results, which you know focuses primarily on you know just audio advertising. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I guess like. One thing that I'd love to just kind of like hear a little bit more about is just your background, how you kind of, you know, rose up the ranks in media, uh, doing a lot across a lot of different brands, and then how you ended up here in, uh, you know, ad results uh, and focused on podcasting. Yeah, of course. Happy to share that insight. My, my journey is uh, very similar to a lot of people in advertising where nobody really grows up saying they want to work in agency life, but they fall into it. And the people who really enjoy the hustle, the problem solving, really enjoy working with the different clients that we get to meet in all types of walks of life with products that we see every day. So it was a, a huge treat whenever I, I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. I got to tell all my friends, I'm working on the Miller Coors account. It was, you know, almost like a dream come true coming out of that school. And so um, worked with some really amazing people on that team way back when, whenever they were just getting off the ground with the agency at the time. And what really scratched my brain there was just the impact that paid dollars can have on consumers. I think most people want to see direct results where they can, whether that's thinking back to the 70s and 80s and call this number and call that a direct result. So the advanced solutions that happen now of, you know, your devices tracking almost through every move where you now allow it. But, you know, there was a wild time in the 2010s where you didn't have to opt in and you were still being dragged. So um, it was exciting. You know, it was new. It felt like things were changing frequently and fresh. And for a, a brain like mine, I was always really interested and always kind of kept on my toes. So I tended to always chase where the challenge was. And so went through a couple of different brands in my career and actually focused a little bit more on like the branding side of things more than DR, which is where I think a lot of people sort of ask the same question, like how did you end up in audio or specifically podcasting recently? So I actually came after my time of a party in Delta uh, to add results with the perspective that podcasting, audio influencer, you know, local radio, that's more of like a branding high reach approach, but there's a whole different world of it that is specifically that people are listening to these endorsers, they trust them and they're willing to take action that you're desiring to see and give you feedback. Like I bought this product because I love this podcast host, or I listen to this radio show every single morning. I want to support your endeavors. And so I'm going to buy this product because I'm in different <laughs> brands or whatever it may be. So, you know, working on a couple of brands, there's lots of different choices. It was really exciting to see just how far advertising and loyalty can go. So 
I wouldn't call it a total career switch up that I went from being sort of omni-channel planning, connecting with consumers to just audio influencer, but it was also a, a thrill to move to an industry where, you know, most of the world was playing defense during the pandemic, trying to hold on to their dollars, make their business be sustainable, but podcasting was booming, it was growing, and more and more clients wanted into it. So it was it was a welcome change, and the speed hasn't stopped, and it's just great to be here and working with a group of leaders and counterparts and direct reports that are really happy to be there and embrace these challenges. Yeah, I love I love the audio influencer um, kind of motif. We think like super powerful. Obviously, they're in ear. I've been listening to podcasts since two thousand seven, and it wow. never really occurred to me that comparison. But once I got into the business uh, with Glassbox, it's just like hands down, it makes total sense. Um, you know, just going back to like the Bacardi and the Delta days, did you ever get exposed to podcasting through those accounts, or was it is this kind of like all new uh, kind of frontier for you? No, I, I I started the podcast program on Delta with a couple of really awesome people. There's, if I can name drop on this podcast, you can always edit out if we can't. But, you know, there's Liz Hotner, Greg Hirshhorn, Emanuela Caruso, just a lot of people who really wanted to impact business travelers. Um, podcasting on the Bacardi side of things was not as a big of a focus because liquor and music go so hand in hand. So your audio efforts were really focused more so on you know, the music and the right type of culture and occasions. But within Delta, we were trying to break into, how do we break into a business traveler where people are trying to reach these really high value people at all times? And it was sort of like a consumer first insight that we came up with in a room that wasn't backed by any of the tools that these big agencies try to make us buy. You know, there was no, well, we looked in Comscore and it showed up. It was just kind of like, you're trapped on a plane. At the time, there wasn't always free Wi-Fi. And if there was Wi-Fi, it was like 25 bucks. And it's just, you know, there's people talking beside you. Business travelers listen to podcasts, you know, it's their modern day newspaper. And so our first podcast program with Delta focused on being in things like Freakonomics, uh, TED Talks and things like that. Just thinking that as people are striving for excellence in their career, like it's a passion point for them just even outside of their nine to five. And we really only at the time uh, measured off of impact of reach and downloads. And at the time, that's all that there was, you know, it was really difficult to say, this is somebody who booked a flight because they heard about Delta on a podcast because it was so contingent on the, what's the schedule. You know, if you're flying out of a market where Delta does not have a really big presence, you might have to connect versus a different carrier. And so, you know, there's, we've all purchased a flight. There's nowhere really that says, what choice to do this flight today? You can't choose podcasts as a drop down like you can with some of these other D2C companies. So um, it was really all reach and resonance. And as far as I understand, um, the team is still working on that today. But, you know, in a world where you work with some smaller movers and shakers that can do more for their website and inputs, they can put different types of RSS tracking linking on their website. They can do, how did you hear about a surveys? They can even find ways to adapt the data they collect into modeling now. You see a lot more advertisers who are treating podcasting and audio influencer as a full funnel approach, and I couldn't be happier about it. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> that's really amazing. And, um, you know, now you're working across, I, how many brands are you working across at this point? <laughs> oh, it's, uh, we, we get a lot of people knocking on the door every day, but I would say right now we're, you're in the 30 to 40 range with my other partner and their counterpart. Oh, wow. And then would you say that, um, you know, most of them have already decided that they want to be going into audio advertising or are there ever instances where you're kind of trying to pitch them on podcasting specifically 
Uh, and if so, what's that conversation look like? You know, what are you kind of doing to fight for those dollars? I would say that the main thing we try to do whenever we talk to clients, whether we're going out and saying, hey, you would do really great in podcasting, or if they're coming to us saying, we want to be in it, can you help us scale? It's really getting back to what are they trying to tell consumers? Um, I think a lot of times brands and companies get into the bad habit of talking to themselves. You know, there are a lot of media plans that I certainly created back in my day where it was to make somebody at a company happy and not actually to make a consumer drive a sale. And so here it's sort of saying, yeah, your brand wants to be in podcasts, but like, what do you want that listener to take away from their time with their best friend that's hosting podcasts? And they say best friend figuratively, right? Like we treat people like they're our friends and listen to their advice and take their perspectives onto our own. So that's really where we start is sort of like, what what's the benefit for the consumer and what are we trying to do here? Because if it's not there, they're just trying to chase the latest lead and also do some pretty staple things like no cussing in this. We're not afraid to say podcasting isn't for you. You know, it needs to be the right message. It needs to be a product also that the host believes in. If there's a client where potentially there's not a lot of adaptation from hosts and we don't think hosts will latch onto that, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about here's what hosts have talked about in the past and maybe conflicting with your product. It's, it's a lot of art um, and some science that goes into it. But ultimately, we work with every single client more like a consultant than just an activation arm to say, let's go into your marketing mix. What's the role of podcasting versus other channels? And what do you want the end consumer to do? Right. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And, you know, obviously, like, goes without saying, terrestrial radio is a massive business. Um, still huge to this day. Um, you know, very high billions. But... Uh, what would you say is the conversation in shifting dollars from terrestrial radio into podcasting? Like, what does that sound like? I would argue that we're not shifting it. I think hundreds of thousands of people still listen to terrestrial radio every single day. I think that there's perception and research that says that it's shifting, but realistically, you're actually seeing people consume more audio in their day. And so they're adding podcasts versus saying, well, I'm not going to listen to terrestrial anymore. The people who have given up their cars and don't have AM, FM, Sirius XM, like they've already done that. So they're effectively out of that market. But we actually very much see it as they play with each other and are different parts of their day versus anything that we're trying to switch dollars from terrestrial. There certainly is a role. And for some of our clients, we see some of the best performance come from terrestrial. So you can't discount that just because podcasting is a new shiny thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously I live in New York. Um, definitely not listening yeah. to terrestrial radio too much. <laughs> uh, get on the get on the subway, get to the gym, and I'm on demand audio, you know, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Um, so that makes total sense. But um, I guess for me, it's probably about the opportunity to just kind of like select what I want to listen to when I want to listen to it. Um, but you living in Austin, you probably live that life, right? You're probably on terrestrial radio, but then also uh, listening to your podcast, right? I've, I've lived all three lives. I've been in New York without a car. I did a pandemic purchase of a car when I did live in New York and I've made the move back to Austin. So, you know, I've gone through the listening to AMFM, listening to Sirius, getting a Bluetooth plug into my old 2005 sedan that I'm driving right now so I can listen to my podcasts. It's all of it. And so there's a role for everything. I would argue that if you're looking at doing a local plan saying, hey, Chris, I want to reach you so you buy my product you know, marketers who are savvy on, you know, the consumer, their target area say, well, Chris doesn't have a car. Like, you know, if we want to reach his mom or his dad or his brother who lives in Timbuktu, sure thing. Uh, but more or less, if you're trying to reach a New Yorker, you have to keep in mind that, you know, 50% of their time with it, earbuds are in the ears, they're underground on the subway. 
so you can't be doing a stream anyway. It has to be a download. And that's where podcasting is really magical, especially when targeting New Yorkers. But for people who live in markets with cars, like Los Angeles, huge terrestrial market, people are in their cars for multiple hours a day. And it's almost a miss to not include terrestrial radio within the Los Angeles market. So it really goes back to making sure that you understand what you want your consumer to take away from your brand and following their consumer journey in their day and tailoring a media mix to reach that. Got it. Yeah. And you know, another, you know, thing that just switching back to podcasting real quick and just hyper-focusing on that. Um, I'm sure you get this question a lot, especially when you go to like podcast movement from creators. Um, but you know, how do brands like look at the vast landscape of all the podcasts that are out there? Um, and I know that we can break them down by genre. We can look at, you know, male, female splits, things like that. But, you know, what are some of the, you know, I guess the factors that you guys kind of think through when selecting, you know, which podcasts go with what campaign, um, you know, and perhaps it's easiest to just like, you know, describe a certain brand campaign, you know, from the past that, that can basically articulate this well, but how do you guys go about that? Cause it's just, you know, it's a vast landscape. Yeah, it, it is vast. And I think that's why you need a specialty partner to do it. I think a lot of people can do a great job of choosing one network who has a couple podcasts and checking the box and saying, the marketing plan we've created for this client now has podcasting and our job is done, but that's the worst way you can do it. So again, you have to think about what is Chris Mitt, what is Chris Mitt, I can't speak today, edit this part out. Um, <laughs> what does Chris Whitman listen to in his free time? It's not enough to say, let's reach podcast listeners when they're going underground on the subway. It's saying, we know he doesn't listen to a call her daddy, but he might listen to a Tim Dillon. And so you have to, one, know the intricate landscape of the most recent podcasters. You have to know who they're endorsing and what, like by nature, you don't want to be that agency that goes and asks if they'll endorse a product when they've been endorsing their competitor for months, if not years. You know, that's going to be a bad experience for everybody involved. The other thing that we do is we try to look for brand suitability over brand safety. I feel like the buzzwords of brand safety come around every single channel creeping every now and then. But one of my favorite things about working with my, my partners and my other VPs and my teams at Ad Results is that, you know, we're pretty upfront that if you want to be in a world where there's no cuss words and it's appropriate for your child to listen to the podcast, well, podcasting is going to be a limited scale channel for you. Like as humans having conversations with each other, sometimes we share a cuss word or two. Um, if you're watching a Bachelor rewatch episode, that may seem, you know, brand safe, but on The Bachelor, people are having sex on the beach sometimes. And so they're going to talk about that. And then some clients might think, oh, that's not brand safe. I can't be around that. And there are some brands that are like, I'm very comfortable being around that because this person has raised their hand and said, I need to get back into The Bachelor. Catch me up. Thank you so much like, for doing that. So again, you have to go with each brand's intention of what they want the consumer to walk away with and then learn about what's suitable for that brand versus not. Some clients will, you know, test anything as long as it drives the right sale because they want it to be in that host's tone of voice. They want it to be an enthusiastic endorsement if they put too many guardrails around what they can and can't say. That can hurt selection. You know, we've walked away from hosts that would have done a great read, but if there's too many rules and restrictions, it's going to come off inauthentic. So there's so many different factors that go into choosing a podcast and making that landscape. It's just not enough to be able to choose one network or one partner that happens to represent a couple podcasts and say you have a holistic marketing plan. You have to go creator first and work with your different network partners that represent them that understand marketing media mixes and the different ways to measure and attribute back to brand success. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, 
something that I found out that was really interesting, just, you know, as we've been signing podcasts on our side is that, you know, at times some of the smaller shows that we have tend to be the best performers for some of the brands that we work with. How do you guys think about scale when it comes to audiences for individual podcasts? Are you kind of thinking through that lens or, you know, is it kind of very... It's, it's always been a consideration. We've, mm-hmm. one of the great things that we do is that we've always put what we call affectionately the little guys on plans. We've seen podcasts start with 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 downloads, but if we know they're going to do a great rate, we'll put them on a plan. And before you know it, their podcast grows to 300 to $400,000. So in some cases, if you're only testing podcasts that have multi-millions in reach, sure, you're making great margins for your agency and you're client is able to consolidate their marketing mix to five or six podcasters. And again, check the box, call it a day, but you're almost too late to the game at that point. You know, if you're only working with the highest reach people, they've already done hundreds, if not thousands of reads for brands. And there's actually a higher likelihood of getting lost in the clutter. So it's important to still work with those high reach, really like loyal audience followings at the multi-million followers. But you can't forget about what some call the micro influencers or some of the smaller podcasts that are more niche that can help you really hit on some of those passion points for the listeners. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And yeah, it's something that we're seeing on our side too. Uh, what about like social reach? You know, some of the podcasts that we work with have amazing social presences across TikTok yeah. and, you know, Instagram, others don't. Um, how should brands be thinking about that? How should creators be thinking about that? Yeah, creators have a big duty if they want to sell their social platforms as a 360, they got to be transparent with their reporting back because, and you probably know this from some of the podcasts that you guys represent, it's really hard to get numbers out of any meta platform. The TikTok algorithm changes all the time. And that doesn't mean, you know, inconclusive data don't invest. There certainly still is a, a value for having that social addition to an audio read. Because again, going back to what I said before, you're chasing the creator, you're not chasing the network or the box, but you have to understand that whenever you're getting different sources of touch points of the consumer, different reporting comes that comes with that. So you might not get, you know, a, an Instagram engagement rate, even though the creator can see it, like that's not something that's going to be integral or easy for you to get and tell a total marketing story. So that's where you really have to have that mix of art and science, put together a whole story about what your brand is doing with the creator. Yeah. And I would imagine too, you know, 360 deals, that's, you know, tends to be, you know, let's walk before we run uh, for a lot of brands that we talk to. Uh, would you say that you're looking for social extensions more as like a value add on a first pass, like while you're doing testing and then maybe add it in as a paid channel later? Yeah, it's it's going to be difficult to sell in a, a multi-million dollar 360 partnership to somebody who's never tested in the podcast. And you have to prove the channel and you have to prove the creator first. So whether that's saying, you know, let's have, you know, four to five different reads over a couple of months. And if you end up like, let's say we're selling tickets or something, you have going to a show you know, post a picture from the show and talk about how you got the ticket and that you're partnering with them on your podcast and things like that. So there's ways to do it, but it's still not a one size fits all. There are some companies that have an entire different social marketing team than the audio team. They're fragmented, whether they want to say it or not. And so if it's just the podcasting team member working on that, they're going to say, well, certainly I only want it as added value. My dollars are only going towards audio, but I think the most magical partnerships are especially whenever we can work with the clients and get their teams to come together and say, this is not about ad results, getting dollars for podcasting or making podcasts in the main channel. Like we are a creator first agency. 
and we see a lot of magic in podcasts. This is what, which is why the bulk of our clients come to us. But ultimately, they all matter. Every touch point of consumer matters. I follow podcasters that I follow, not just on Apple Podcasts, but also on Instagram, on TikTok. Like, there's many touch points that I have with these people. And frankly, as a consumer, like. I might even mix up the attribution sometimes. Like I might see an ad for a product from a podcaster on social, but if I go buy that, I'm at Marcus Podcast. The lines get really blurred and it's not a problem that, you know, one agency alone can solve. You just have to be able to be good listeners and good consultants to your clients who are coming to you for marketing advice. Yeah, I mean, let's let's drill into that too. Yeah. You, you bring up <laughs> a good point. Um, and we haven't even started talking about YouTube, but you know, when it comes to attribution and just tracking performance for podcasts, I mean, what is some advice that you give to brands out there? I know that certain brands have their own mechanisms set up. You know, some are using, you know, platforms like PodSites, PodScribe, et cetera. Um, others just, you know, refuse to do that. Um, how are you having those conversations? How are you trying to set up your clients for the best success on their brand campaigns? The, the world that I came from heavily influences the world that I live in now where, you know, almost every agency that I've worked at before with, with no disrespect to anybody, it's a great strategy, tries to sell in their own products and models because they know the best stuff and it's easiest to connect. But sometimes an agency's own product and models are not the best fit for the client. And so I've maintained since I started the ad results, you have to be agnostic whenever it comes to attribution methods and preferred models. I get asked by clients all the time, what's better, pod sites are chartable and I giggle and I'm like, well, they're both owned by Spotify now. So what does it matter? But you know, they say, well, what's the best one? We want your POV for the best one. And I always kind of have to take a breath and empathize with them a bit that they're under a lot of pressure to get the highest and most accurate numbers. I'll always say, think of attribution tools and methods like a toolbox. You, you've got a bunch of different screwdrivers in a toolbox. And sometimes for a project, you need a Phillips head, but sometimes for a project, you need a flathead screwdriver. And don't get me wrong, sometimes you can take that flathead and fit it into the Phillips and still twist it and get the job done, but it's still not perfect. You need to think of attribution uh, models as tools and how are they incorporate into your media mix. If you go in and you say, our preferred partner is this, our recommended partner is that, and nobody else ever, I would always encourage clients to dig into why. There's a lot of power and importance in staying agnostic and embracing the creative process as these companies develop and change. And so you need to have a good understanding of not just, you know, pod size versus chartable versus the other pixel partners come into play, but also, you know, what is a world without pixel attribution look like? What does the impact of cookies having on podcasting? Not much, but it's, right. <laughs> you know, there's, it, it's a complicated topic that I think we need more than an hour to go into. But I would say that the key takeaway is that if you're a client listening to this, you know, you need to treat your attribution tools like a toolbox not as like a best and worst. And if you're an agency, you know, make sure you're thinking about, you know, what you're actually selling at the end of the day. You need to stay agnostic and do what's right for your clients to drive results. Yeah, no, I mean, results is all it's about, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the story of Glassbox is very much like getting the band back together. We all work together at Giant Media, which yeah. my co-founder <laughs> David founded. Um, we worked together, I guess, on Cody uh, years ago. Years um, ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is funny, but one of the things that was amazing as we started the company was just that ad tech kind of seems like it's just kind of finally caught up to podcasting. So it's actually made, um, you know, I guess the space more democratic for brands because they can actually start tracking things. And, you know, we can do things like dynamic ad insertion. We can change out messaging. We can A-B test. 
there's so much stuff that we can do today in podcasting that really wasn't you know capable before, which is super exciting. Um, yeah. But as ad tech has caught up to podcasting, you know, we sign creators on a weekly basis. Um, one of the you know first points of conversation that we have with creators that we're talking to is you know ad load. You know, we have that conversation around. Um, you know, my show is 45 minutes to an hour long. You know, how many ad breaks do you think should go in there? And then conversely, what we're seeing on the brand side now when we get RFPs, you know, from you know direct response agencies, performance agencies, but also you know larger brand awareness agencies, is share a voice. Um, you know, how are you guys thinking about share a voice when you guys are booking campaigns? What do you think is kind of like the right mix for you know your brand campaigns, but also for the consumer? Well, we have to dig into a bit about what's your goal. Are you trying to get a strong reach? Are you trying to block competitors? Because that's a very different campaign than resonating with one to two to three key consumers that are going to become lifetime customers. So I think there is a world that exists out there that is, you know, what is doing too much and ad load going into it is a big part. The advice I give creators is remember to take endorsements and brand deals that you believe in. Um, when they start to say, well, how many ad breaks do I need? You know, they're thinking about money first and not always a connection with their audience. I think that their audience will stay loyal if they had maybe one ad break with two different endorsements in it, then that really went far versus having eight to 10, just because you have the inventory, just because you're monetizing it on the open marketplace or things like that. Um, we always want creators to remember to stay authentic where they can. And certainly, you know, they need to make money. This is how they're supporting their podcast business. But, you know, 10 ads in an episode, that's a lot. It really is. And what happens whenever you get a brand who wants to take over the whole episode, you're booting out other advertisers. Now everybody's scrambling for spots. And so, you know, there isn't a magical answer. Like the right number of ad breaks is X and the first or the second or the third position is most preferable in the middle you can cut and splice it and dice it however you want but i think it can get a bit lost into the minutia and we need to remember is this host actually really enthusiastic about this product and if they're not did they, did they do a hilarious read for it that you're going to remember for the rest of your life if you have to do that 10 times in an episode it's less likely that it's going to stick with that consumer yeah yeah and i think you know at the end of the day a lot of hosts you know they could be passionate about a product they still might need some help, right? So, you know, we're frequently getting on brand calls, you know, just making sure that they understand the messaging, the guidelines, but then they're also, you know, just you're really authentic about their read and um, just yeah. really digging in. That obviously helps a lot with performance. It's refreshing um, to hear you say that specific about hopping yeah. on calls because we I've seen a trend recently with some networks, both in the podcast and YouTube side, who say, well, we don't need an onboarding call. You know, send us talking points and we'll take it from there. And they almost get frustrated, but we're like, our brand is trying to cultivate a connection with your host. I understand that, you know, we're all bombarded with calls all day, every day, right? After I record this, I'm going on another series of marathon calls after this. But, you know, we've seen, we've seen for a couple of our clients that the onboarding call helps keep the host accountable for the guardrails of what they can and can't say. And sometimes you discover fun things you wouldn't think otherwise to say, like, you know, there's a lot of magic that can come with bantering with brands. And if not the brand directly joining the call, just the agency that knows the brand well and what they will and won't approach and how to make the ad stand out. So I'm really glad to hear that you guys think that, you know, hopping on those onboarding calls or at least a quick touch base verbally still exists. I mean, it's a verbal medium that we're advertising in and it goes a long way. 
Yeah, it's super important. And, you know, it's like, it's one thing to kind of take the test money, but at the end of the day, that's not the whole point, right? The whole point is to take that test campaign, get it into a longer term relationship with the brands. And that's where everybody's like, you know, winning. Um, the producers over here, Nick and Erica are telling me one more question. So Okay. Uh, I was worried you were going to say the producers were shaking their heads and didn't yeah. like what I was saying. So. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, Last question is, and this kind of relates back to ad load a little bit, but, you know, programmatic advertising is becoming obviously a huge hot button in the industry. Uh, pretty excited, obviously, about the opportunity um, from our, our perspective. And I think from your side, too, um, you know, I guess, like, how are you coaching brands on, you know, programmatic versus host read? How are you guys building blended mixes with them? Uh, would just love to hear your POV on the programmatic space in general. I think we need another hour and a half, Chris. Uh, okay. We'll do a round two, I promise. <laughs> round two, round two. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can report it in person at a studio. But no, I, with programmatic, you're, you're not going to see podcasting make the same mistakes as display and video had to go through. You know, you, you saw a lot of lucrative people in that industry saying, here's how I can get extra dollars, a mix of ad fraud, ad stacking. Um, hosts aren't going to stand for bad ads on their platform. And if anything... You know, it's, it's created a slower role of programmatic into podcasting. So I think it's important that brands treat this channel very gingerly. I'm a huge advocate because I hate ads that waste my time. Um, so I like programmatic because I think I get more tailored ad experiences and I don't find them disruptive, although I could be biased because I work in the industry and this is how we want to be paid. So you I Exactly, exactly. So ultimately, you know, th this industry is going to stay host first for a very long time, if not forever. I don't think that there's going to be a takeover of programmatic, like some of the people at podcast move and other conferences are predicting. I think everybody is afraid of the unknown, but the right leaders in podcasting are treating it correctly and taking the right approach and making sure that it's done right. Like the last thing any of us want as people who work in it are a bad consumer experience. It always goes back to the ex consumer experience. And I can't say that enough because the second a consumer gets irritated that they're getting, you know, 20 programmatic ads or a stacked ad where it's a garbled experience, they're going to stop listening. The host is going to get upset because their follower count is dropping. I really don't see podcasting following the same mistakes that, you know, display and video made within their programmatic growth. So you're going to see yeah. more and more uh, different hosts and companies start to unlock their inventory programmatically with the right layer of attention to the brands that are on it and the creatives. So I only see this growing. I know we're growing exponentially at ad results and our clients are really excited for where it unlocks within A-B testing, within discovering new audiences, and even discovering what types of shows that they're listening to that maybe they didn't know before. That'll help direct deals come later on. I think people always forget that when you're working with partners that are passing back show transparent inventory, you can say, I had no idea that this show is a listened to by my audience, but B a produced ad and programmatic is converting like crazy. Let's go to this host and get a direct deal. Cause it's going to do that much better when you have a, I love this product versus a recorded read. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. I think there's a time and place for both. And um, you know, there will be that kind of like, just need to be very intentional about where, like even on our side, when we're doing our ad placements, we're thinking through that. Okay. Where's good in a specific podcast to do a host read versus a programmatic spot, so on and so forth. So um, that all makes total sense. Uh, last question. I'm going to go one more. Sorry guys. Uh, you know, what top three favorite podcasts? 
oh my god no don't ask me this um <laughs> i've been i've been binging jay shetty recently um okay. he just you know some one. of the stuff i i get advice in other ways but he's he's got some nice uplifting stuff um what else i love a recent one called open house um she's an australian british host who just does modern therapy and she relates it to reality tv shows and that's always a good time and then my third favorite one, I usually will play this when I'm introducing my friends to podcasts, is one called Were You Raised by Wolves? Um, it's modern etiquette. So it's things like you're at a party and somebody hands you a handkerchief after you please, but it, or you sneeze rather, and it's made out of cloth. What are you supposed to do with it after that? Like, that's you, a you, great you, question. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know. We could, but that's, that's usually what I try to introduce my friends. I'm like, hey, you should listen to podcasts. Here's a funny one because everybody can relate to it. And that's actually kind of the gateway that a lot of my friends have gotten into it. So those are the three that I listen to the most, but they definitely change kind of, you know, monthly as I need to find new content. And a lot of times when I hear that, you know, Glassbox gets a new show in their books, I like to go and listen to it and, you know, understand. We appreciate that. Passion point. Yeah, you got it. Or if it's not me, which one of my advertisers is going to do great on the show that we can get testing into? We love that. Yeah, thank you. Um, amazing. I'm going to go check those out. I know Jay Shetty, but Open House and Were You Raised by Wolves? Very new to me. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a swinging guess and say you'll probably like we are raised by wolves a little more than open house, but those are my my top three. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing, but I'll still check them both out. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> anyway, Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you know, where can listeners connect with you online? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so it's uh, LinkedIn.com/slash Gretchen B Smith. You can email me. I love a good old fashioned email, Gretchen at AdResultsMedia.com. Um, would love to help answer any questions, any clients, or even people in the space, because this is a topic I'm very passionate about, and I could talk with you for another three hours about it. So, <laughs> We'll probably do it. So um, anyway, thank you again, Gretchen. Uh, this has been great. Awesome. Thank you, Chris, for having me on. It was great catching up with you. I'll see you next Likewise. time. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye.